0: Hello, you're listening to One Year Later, presented by the Industry Observer with APRA AMCOS and hosted by me, Poppy Reid. It's been a little over a week since Big Sound 2018 finished, and by now, most of the industry have caught up on their emails and sleep. But one person in particular is catching up on some much-needed rest. Maggie Collins, industry veteran, Triple J presenter, and artist manager at DZ Death Rays, programmed the mammoth Big Sound conference and festival in 2017. She did it all again this year, and she loved it so much she's planning next year's too. I caught up with Maggie on ground at Big Sound, exactly a year after her first stint as
1: programmer. Enjoy. In the world of getting better diversity, I mean, even if you look ten years ago, it was so bad; it was like shit house. <laughs> and we've just been coming up like exponentially in terms of awareness globally, you know, and not just in the music industry, but everywhere. So, what I'm programming is a result of all those years of hard work of educating people and building that awareness. And these artists have a lot of different genders and uh, cultural backgrounds at Big Sound, and in a few years' time, they will be playing those festivals. All right, Maggie Collins,
0: thank you so much for being part of the Observer podcast presented by Oprah Amcos. We are here at Big Sound, day two. It's
1: crazy. How are you feeling? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Poppy. Thanks for having me. Um, I am feeling suitably okay. (laughs) I think that's, I like to, I choose my words very carefully. Like say, for example, the word busy. I don't think I'm busy right now. And I'm definitely not stressed, but I really value those words.
0: (laughs) You did not seem stressed when I saw you last night rocking out to Dobby. Um, That was an incredible set. And then, I I mean, obviously I was fixated on him. He's incredible. And he has a big sound song. Yeah. What? Didn't see that coming. You didn't know?
1: No, I did not know that. You were right up front. Man, Dobby is just the coolest guy and he played Big Sound last year and I knew there was something about him just from watching the videos that he sent through with his application and so um, went along to his show because I thought he's a mad rapper and um, he can rap really quickly and really articulately too. It's insane. And um, went along and was just blown away because he was rapping while drumming at the same time. And I just ran to the front of the stage just as he was about to do a song. Like say He said, I've got a song called Big Sound. I wrote it last week. <laughs> and he name drops all the other people that are playing on his stage or the other acts that are playing at the festival that he's really excited to see or that he loves and just like kept on going and then he threw out shakers to people in the audience to join That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I did catch one. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. And he's an absolute gentleman too. So, so many artists are like that at Big Sound, which is great. I I do want to go into the programming of
0: Big Sound, how you get to be one of the few artists that perform, because I know that you get inundated with applications when it comes time to submit. But I want to go back a little bit, actually quite a bit Mm. and, If you could just tell us how you got into the music industry, because... Your father was in, is in the music business, right? Uh, close. He's in
1: the sports industry.
0: Oh, not close at all. <laughs> no, I, I, is it radio? Yes, radio. So yeah, that's why yes. I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So um, he's retired now. He still does a bit of radio work here and there um, and MC stuff. But he, uh, my entire life, was a sports broadcaster for the ABC. Uh, he worked on Grandstand. And uh, when I was a kid, I had a famous father according to all the Queenslanders <laughs> that I grew up with um, uh, because, yeah, everyone's dads loved Jerry Collins and uh, and he would come to my school events and do some emceeing and some calling of our sports and stuff like that, which was always heaps of fun. So, yeah, anytime I went to dad's work, it was at the ABC in Brisbane. And actually he um, – I was a big fan of Merrick and Rosso on Triple J, uh, which – were presenters many, many, many years ago. I was in high school and they were doing their last ever show in Brisbane and I begged Dad if I could go along because I love Triple J and wanted to go see them and uh, went along and, yeah, didn't realise it was their last show ever, but it was. But I met them, had a little, you know, went into the studios again and, like, really got to know radio. When I was a kid, my dad put me in front of a microphone and got me to count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, I said. And then he recorded it. And he said, Look, okay, we'll record it now. Then we stop recording it and then we'll play it back to you. And he edited it so that I couldn't count. <laughs> and so it's like, One, two, seven, <laughs> eight, three, <laughs> six. And uh, that was like a fun early memory. Um, and, you know, opening my eyes to the world of radio. So I always wanted to be on it, but then I was like, I want to be an actor, and then I tried being an actor, and then I realised that's silly, I'm not going to be an actor.
0: What did you do as an actress? Was Is there any videos that we could find
1: <laughs> on the internet? Uh, it was before the the internet, thankfully, uh, before YouTube oh, um, picked up, and I only did one year of drama at uni, and I could have been pretty good, I think, if I had... I thought, hey, I don't want to spend my whole life, not making money and struggling and stressing. So I'm going to work in the music industry instead.
0: (laughs) I laugh because literally the parallels are so similar. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, Plus I always loved music. I I grew up in a very musical family and um, knew that I wanted to be either in radio, in music or in music some other way. I couldn't, I can't play to save myself. So like in music business or something like that. And so eventually I did a diploma in that world and... Were there many diplomas back then in that um, realm? No, there was one in Brisbane. And you did it? At South Bank Institute of Technology. And I did that and made some really great friends there actually. And we did artist management there. That's where it kind of got introduced to me. And it's where I got the idea that, okay, if I want to work in the music industry, if it's not radio... I have to get a job at a record label, but I have no experience. That's just not going to happen. I've got nothing to stand on to say I could even get a job at a record label. And they were all closing down anyway, so it was just pointless. But if I asked a band to manage them and they said yes, then all of a sudden I'd work in the music industry, <laughs> even though even though I wasn't getting paid. So that's pretty much what I did with this band called the John Steele Singers. Just a band called the John Steele <laughs> yeah. Singers, you know, no yeah. big deal. That yeah. was the first band you managed. Uh, yeah, technically the first band I managed. I, I, like, helped out some other bands, but I really became their manager. How does
0: an, a manager go to manage a band without – an I say this respectfully, but without any runs on the board, as in I've got an artist to be uh, the Triple J feature album, you know, you had nothing like that to go on. How
1: are those relationships formed? Well, this is something that I teach a lot of the time to other musicians who are looking for artist managers. Sometimes they're looking for, you know, the best manager with the best experience, and I say to them, actually... You might have a friend who is a big music fan, has a head on their shoulders, you know, they like organising things. Make them your manager and make it happen because that's that's kind of how it starts. A lot of managers learn as they go along, which is really like I think it's the best way to do it. It also is very nerve-wracking for a young manager because you as a manager are supposed to be in charge of strategy and you're at the same level as them in terms of knowledge and so how can you lead them in that direction and my response to that I guess is that just patience and time you will get better but also asking a lot of questions of our very supportive um, management community in Australia Um, everyone's got advice and and you know it's the the kind of the scariest part I think was never And it is never the big major decisions that you make with an artist. It's all the teeny tiny little decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis that all build up to this picture that you don't even, like that you have in mind and you hope it's going to get there by making all these decisions.
0: So it's almost one of the only industries where working
1: with your friend or someone you're really close to actually pays off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's I remember when I started they were like, "Oh, don't get your friends to manage you. Don't work with your friends." And I guess it just depends on what kind of relationship you have with your friend and also how much you want to risk with that relationship. Like if you've been friends since you were kids and maybe the person that you're trying to get to manage you is maybe not reliable or maybe little bit high strung or something Maybe you don't want to put that pressure on your friendship that's fine but eventually you grow to have a really weird and lovely dynamic with your band anyway where you are friends um you're almost kind of friends in that the same way that you're friends with your family or your siblings you know what I mean you can have have it out sometimes and disagree with each other but you know in the end that you've got a good working relationship and you're all working towards the same goal so eventually you get over any sort of issues?
0: Yeah, it's like you, you need you learn to compartmentalize. Mm. Like we disagree now, but we're bound for life.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah.
0: how did the how did you signing D Z death Rays to a management deal come about? Because you were a fan of them.
1: But did you go to their show with the goal of signing them to a management deal? I did that time. I don't often do that these days, usually because I don't have any time and I'm not usually fishing for any artists, even though I have so many artists that I'm like, oh, I want to manage you, but I have no time. Um, yeah, I was – because I had just started on – I had been working at a record store. I loved that job. It was a golden age. And, uh, but since all these record stores closed down – Mine did too, and I lost my job. But it was kind of a good opportunity because um, I'm not sure if it's still around, but there was the new enterprise incentive scheme, uh, which was a grant that the government was giving via Centrelink to people who were unemployed to run their business, paid them full time to run their business for a year to start it up. Which is such a great initiative. That's amazing. Yeah. And so because I was on Centrelink, because I lost my job, became redundant, I was able to get onto this scheme. And so the government paid me for a year to build up my business, which was music services and artist services and so I'm like right gonna need some bands <laughs> <laughs> and now the music yeah <laughs> exactly yeah so and it just so happened that around that time some friends of mine were talking about this band called DZ and so yeah I hit them up and went and saw the show and thankfully they you know weren't locked into anything yet and we just made it happen the rest is history. <laughs> Tell me about the conversation that you had.
0: Um, was it straight after the show that you talked to them, and did you pull out the "I want to be your manager"
1: card then? Um, I think I played it pretty chill after the show. Um, That's half the the ruse, right? Yeah, yeah it chill. <laughs> yeah, playing it chill. Yeah. I I actually I can't need remember. You, you need me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. I think I probably I may have said that. um, but also, whatever I said, it definitely would have been backed up by a, yes, I want to manage you now. Please let me manage you. <laughs> yeah. um, you guys are great. But also, I got them a booking agent straight away because I was working with Rob G at the time with the John Steele Singers, Rob G at Select, that is. Mm-hmm. And um, he loved them as well. So I was like, bang, got this agent and bang, got the entire Crystal Castles Australian tour straight away so that they knew they were in good hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So that was, that was a good start for them. And
0: um, and how long have you been managing them now?
1: Uh, next year, I think it'll be 10 years. Wow. Yes. And
0: yeah. they're in good stead. They are doing incredible things. Yeah. Still.
1: They're one of the bands that uh, is, I wouldn't like to say an anomaly cause I would like to think this happens more often than not, but they have had a steady climb over those years. Um, we haven't plateaued and, uh, they also haven't, you know, we've had definitely had dips and stuff that's definitely happened throughout, especially in different territories around the world. But right now with this third record that they released this year, they're bigger than they've ever been before. And, um, and like, we still get 14 year olds that come to the show and say like, yes, I want to be Simon and Shane and I want to rock out, um, which is amazing for a band that's been going on for 10 years. So I was speaking
0: to, um, Stephen Green from SCG media. And I said to him, because he's so heavily involved with big sound. And I said, what, what do you think is probably the biggest thing that Maggie has brought to big sound? Um, and he said diversity and hmm. gender balance. And he said that, it's so clear when you look at the programming, and looking at the live programming, is it 148 bands that 100, you have exactly, and yep. 79 of those are female fronted. Um, thanks to a report by Happy Magazine, yeah, that they yeah. put that out. That was great. Um, that's amazing. And I I am interested, was that a conscious decision where you looked at the lineup and you said, we need more women or we need more representations from these other different marginalized cultures, um, or did it just happen that way?
1: Well, I'll take it back to just before I started programming, um, when Nico Byrne was doing it and, um, the prospect came up that I'm, that I might be the next programmer and I thought, well, what... I would like to contribute to Big Sound is diversity. I, I I had that, like, you know, before I'd started. But then Nick O'Byrne had already started doing that um, in a really decent way. Like, he, he was very conscious of it, had it at the forefront of his mind, was constantly making sure that um, there was uh, as much diversity as he could get on the speaker's side and on the music side as well. And so I was like, damn it, Nick, you already did it. (laughs) Good on you. That's great. (laughs) What about me? (laughs) What am I going (laughs) to bring? So I guess, yeah, when I came on, that still remained a focus for me as well. But what I found was um, pretty astonishing and and this has become more and more so since the start has been how easy it's been to have that diversity Mm. and how I feel like Yes, I've had diversity in in mind, and I've worked towards that. But it's been easy for me because everyone's already there. It's not hard to find <laughs> like these amazing artists, these incredible artists that are so talented, um, have such great careers ahead of them. And thanks to the work of so many people, like from feminists across the board and also organisations such as Listen, Sad Girls Club um, and other organisations such as Sounds Australia as well who have been developing uh, the Australian scene. And also I would also credit Triple J Unearthed. Like they play – I think they play 50 50, um, female – Content uh, on Triple J Unearthed Radio.
0: Yeah, I, was, I think I was chatting to Nick Finlay, and on Triple J, he was saying that um, unwittingly it was around eighty percent for one of their um, quarters or something. Yeah, and
1: it, it's there. That's yeah. that's the answer to that question. Yeah. it is there. So I definitely think that I've I've had it pretty easy because because all these these support networks have been working away over the years, and then I've come in and. I had this, uh, goal in mind to make sure that there's a a vast, uh, collection of different people involved in big sound. And then I'm like, you're talented, you're talented, you're great. You're going to be great. Like you need stuff to work on, but you'll be amazing. (laughs) Like all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then they all were, and then I booked them. (laughs)
0: <laughs> as simple as that, yeah. people. Well, this is this is what's interesting. So there is this argument in the industry and especially in the festival industry that um, the talent is just not there. They're not available for our announcement.
1: Do you have an answer to that? I, I do have a theory. I feel like I have it easy at Big Sound because this is a new music um, festival. And in the world of getting better diversity... Um, I mean, even if you look 10 years ago, it was so bad. It was like shithouse. <laughs> yeah. um, and we've just been coming up like exponentially in terms of awareness globally, you know, and not just in the music industry, but everywhere. So what I'm programming is a result of all those years of hard work of educating people and building that awareness. And these artists have a lot of different um, genders and uh, cultural backgrounds at Big Sound and in a few years time they will be playing those festivals um that the festivals that rely on huge amounts of uh, punters to come along Mm. and so I think that the festival is kind of like it's one of the last stops where an artist displays their success you know one of the first stops is in education when the Musicians are 16, 17 years old and all those young girls, for some reason, the stats tell us they're just, they they play music really early on when they're tweens and then all of a sudden they lose confidence and they just drop it. Like that, that is the most important place which is so important. And that's why Girls Rock is one of my favourite organisations in the country because that is exactly where they're, they're doing a positive change with education, encouragement and motivation with young women, using other musicians who are more experienced as examples for those women, getting them into work with, them, with those girls and, and also um, trans people and uh, non-binary to encourage them to, to keep up with the music. And it's just going to get better and better. so I mean, it, like let's have this larger festival discussion, I think, in a few years' time and, and see where it's at. I mean, I know that I, I I mean don't get me wrong, there's been some festival lineups that really could have done. <laughs> maybe could have done a, a, been a bit more aware from the get-go, but um but I do think that that everything is looking positive and it is going to get better. I truly believe that.
0: Yeah, and we we will get to a stage where we are matching overseas. You were saying that you went to Oya festival last yeah. year, and I got to go this year, and it was just just so interesting talking to the industry people from there, who um, essentially said that uh, an issue with the lineup not being balanced just—it's it, so rare now. In fact, it just doesn't happen, and if it
1: does, there is an uproar from music fans, mm. yeah, from the ground up. Man. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, yeah, we we've seen that um a lot in Australia that that uproar that happens. Um and I think it's good that there's a call out on that, but I also think it's good to um not just keep it online. Uh, I am a I'm very cynical about online warriors and um calling people out and then when people who don't understand snap back at them and say, oh, it's just about the talent, it's not about what gender they are. And then they just have this yelling fest and it doesn't fucking get anywhere. It's in a vacuum. (laughs) And it it really pisses me off that, like, we can't all just get together and, like, have a peaceful conversation and a, a conversation and instead of yelling at the people who don't, who just don't get it, say to them actually these are the reasons why it's important and you know maybe you didn't know mm. so this is what it is and this is why we're working towards something that's that's better and and maybe you'll see that happen for the next festival lineup and you'll agree mm.
0: and just just on the matter of trolls like these people that you know keyboard warriors that are literally hiding behind their screens and writing this really vitriolic horrible things they The people that can come in, the fans that can come in and have an answer, are scared to engage or incredibly smart and don't want to because they don't want to give it oxygen. Mm. Um, But what a lot of other music fans are seeing is just these really nasty, horrible, misogynistic comments. It's
1: just like I watched this documentary movie about a Supreme Court judge in the US and. Uh, It was an incredible documentary. She's such an inspiration. And one of the things that she said was that when you're in an argument with someone, um, don't yell. Don't get to the yelling point because then the person on the other side is never going to listen to what you're saying. And it just rang so true with me because I think that anything that is said online um, is basically, especially because tone and wording and comments and stuff like it's the equivalent of that I think like social media has been great in so many different ways but also as the years have gone on we've seen ways in which it can be troublesome and it does take away from human to human conversations that we can have where we can really um, educate those who don't know as much and be empathetic to their situation, why they don't know that stuff and why they might be very opinionated the other way and have a grown-up argument with them, like a great argument. You know, it's it's hard to do online. I, I don't really know how else we could do it these days, but um, that's just my thought on that. Yeah, it's almost just about covering all bases and understanding
0: that there will be when you put a lineup out or when you put something out, look at, look at it from different angles, put your, um, put the boot on the other foot for a little while and then address that in the announcement or address that following, you know, the first Mm. uproar or whatever. Mm. But speaking of programming and lineup announcers, how many applications did
1: you have for the Big Sound Live element? Was it fourteen uh, hundred? Not as much. We had one thousand one hundred and thirty-one. One <laughs> yeah.
0: thousand one hundred and thirty-one
1: applicants.
0: Yeah. And you had to decide on one hundred and forty-eight. Yes. How? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, first of all, I listened to every single application. Uh, so, that, and did you feel I, like Nick Finlay? <laughs> yeah, I reckon I did. Yeah. Oh, Nick does that every day. <laughs> um so I listened to every listen to every song and application that came through which takes a few weeks to get through that much stuff. Um and just had my we've got a great program at Big Sound which is kind of like it's it's about getting the content in like shortlisting the content. And then I make my own notes the whole way through. And then we've also got a listening committee that comes on board. um, And with the shortlist that I've made, they check out um, certain, like their genre specialists. So they'll check out certain chunks of that music and they give their thoughts. And um, then it's kind of like it's easy to do, give a number or something to your thoughts on a certain band. And then we kind of figure out from there, um who gets in and by no means is it a popularity contest like when I say that um like if we put a thing figure on like oh I I give this like a seven out of ten doesn't mean that like it's gonna stay there and everything above eight gets in like that's not the case at all sometimes there are um You know, if there's a particular band that I had a certain feeling about, but one of my specialist listeners says, this is a great band. Like, I know these guys, they're going somewhere. And then I will listen to them because I trust their opinion. And I talk to a lot of people as well. I talk to the industry. I read Unearthed and uh, different music sites and just sort of get a vibe of, of where these artists are at and who's talking about them and, like who they are aside from like they, the the artists put all the stuff in their application too. So I read it all there, but there's no one criteria for every single act on the lineup. In fact, it's like every act that eventually gets in has its own unique reason why. Um, and that could be because from anything from, um, say they're an artist that's, uh, been around for a while and, um, yes, Big Sound is a a new music festival, but if they've been around for a while, maybe they don't fit that, but they do if they're launching some new music or if they've changed their sound in a certain way or if they're looking to um, showcase to the international delegates who are all here, obviously that's a new ground for them, looking at the international territories, so they're new in that respect. And then like from that all the way down to artists who... Nobody really knows, and, um, but there's, there's something about them, like their music is that good that it's pushed through or they've been in other bands before and they've done really cool things, so this new project is quite interesting, even though no one knows about it yet. And then it's all the acts in the middle in between those that are actually like really hard to decide between because everyone's at such a great position. It's just that so many of them are at the same position that they're kind of competing with each other and that 's generally where my gut comes into play, and um, where and then you know looking at the rest of the lineup and how they fit in genre wise where they 're from in the country because we like to give a nice range of acts from all as many different states as we can and regional areas to give them opportunities, and then obviously you know having that awareness of you know having a diverse lineup it's an awareness as well it's not really like a um like a rule i think that's a great way to decipher between the two because it means that when you're looking at an overall story of the act you're not just looking at the the act itself but what they can kind of contribute to the overall festival Mm. yeah Awesome. That's a real. (laughs) That's really in
0: depth and really, yeah. I'm sure a lot of bands would hear that and feel very confident about that system. I really like that. I I am interested in. So obviously, social following
1: doesn't matter. I don't. Yeah. Well, as I've said this a few times, that like, you know, if if I told you. There's there's never going to be a time that I'll tell you, oh, if you've got 30,000 streams on Spotify, 5,000 likes on Facebook, spot rotation on Triple J, and a feature in um, the Industry Observer, <laughs> like, uh, and then that's going to get you in. Like, that's not... Who would you be? I don't even know. What's your music like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does, um, does the live element play? Yeah, a totally. Role? Like, do you? I mean,
0: there's no way that you can get to 1,100 live shows, and I guess that's why you have um,
1: your advisory people as yeah. well. When I get the shortlist together, mm. I um, then it, when it becomes like truly crunch time on making decisions, I look at their live shows through YouTube videos. I mean, it doesn't even matter if it's a shitty little video with from an iPhone. Like, I can get the vibe about what they're like live, um, and it helps me see the impact that they could have on the lineup.
0: One year later is presented by Apra Amcos a key business partner both locally and globally to over 100,000 Australian and New Zealand songwriters and publishers. With reps and creative spaces in LA, Nashville and London, APRA AMCOS travels with its members. Whether you've relocated or it's just a flying visit, APRA AMCOS can provide space to members and their teams on a short-term basis in a fantastic location. Go to apraamcos.com.au for more info. So do you have advice for artists and their managers who are applying? Like I know that there's a lot of things and a lot of elements that go into the submission form, but is there a couple of takeaways that you would love for them to know? I think one
1: is if, if you've applied, a, there's been a few acts who have applied a couple of times and then right at the brink of thinking they're never going to get in, they, they find, they're at the point where it's like now you are ready to go in and make the most of it way more, you'll make way more of this opportunity than you would have two years ago um, because you've continued working on it despite Big Sound. Essentially, it's like if you didn't get onto Big Sound, fuck Big Sound, just do your own thing. Like that's what I hope artists are thinking because Big Sound is literally just a snapshot of acts that are doing interesting things, turning heads or have something to say, have have interesting music And that we think will grow further. Um, So in terms of advice, it's just a matter of getting that snapshot into the application itself. And in the application, we ask things like, you know, tell us your bio, obviously, or like a short bio and um, who's on your team, um, who's in your dream team and what your goals are. And I can really tell when someone has put a lot of effort into an application, that's amazing when that happens because I know that if I give them a very valuable spot at Big Sound that they're going to make the most of it. And by a good application, I mean in the goals they've actually, like Dream teams, say, for example. That's an interesting one. Why is that in there? Oh, because it shows me that I'm, what I'm actually looking for is evidence of research, that they're actually doing what they, despite Big Sound once again they're on this trajectory of their own where they're researching the kind of people within on an industry perspective of who's going to help them out. Like say, for example, um, if your favorite band is say like Courtney Barnett, um, who looks after her PR and in which countries, who's her manager, who's her agent. And then other acts, you can, you can do the same thing, um, and do those and research those, the the labels as well. You go to a label, it's like, I make this music and I think it would fit really well on Secretly Canadian. Um, So who works at secretly canadian well i'm just a band and i don't know like how am i going to find that information google it literally there in the about page (laughs) exactly exactly right you go to any secretly band any band go to their facebook about page and it's got their label details on there it's even got sometimes email addresses of the people there it doesn't mean that um you know an unsolicited email is always a great idea but at least you you have a goal of someone you would like to reach to it doesn't when i say dream team as well in the application it doesn't even have to be someone who is speaking at big sound it can just be people who you have researched you think would be great to work with your band specifically eventually you want to reach out to them when you're at the right stage but here's this information since you asked here's my list you know So that's it, yeah.
0: Do you ever get emails from managers or artists that applied but weren't successful and they're quite disgruntled? And Mm. being in media, um, unfortunately, we're in a position where we say no more times than we say yes, and that's really hard. It's hard to say, no, I can't write about your amazing music because of, and there are myriad reasons. Mm. Um,
1: And do you get emails like that? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um, yes, I do get emails like that. And I think like the, the biggest thing that I would say to them is that just because you've gotten bad news here doesn't even mean there's anything wrong with you or your music in any bloody way. Mm. <laughs> because sometimes there are factors outside of your control and with any bad news you receive, forget Big Sound, any rejection you might like inadvertent commas rejection that you might get. It, it like it may be because it's as simple as um, like competition with amount of like so many different acts who are in the exact same spot as you and in terms of how the rest of the lineup has built to get built together one act might just fit in there slightly better than you at that point so there's a lot of aspects like that um some artists just need more time to grow they they need to work on it and uh Big Sound isn't for everyone too. I feel like Big Sound sometimes gets put on a pedestal as maybe like the place where you go to get discovered. But, you know, you can get discovered other ways as well. It's, it's not just Big Sound. And also you can just come to Big Sound without performing you can do some unofficial shows even if you if you can but just come there anyway and just make new friends because it's the friendships that you make at Big Sound that eventually turn into your next business partner or your next collaboration creatively or the next team member that you have just by attending. I love how blunt and honest
0: you are about Big Sound being what it is but not having to be all that a band needs to succeed it it really it really isn't that and I think um if artists do see it as the be all and end all then they're setting themselves up to fail almost but I love how you're the champion of big sound but you're also a realist (laughs) and
1: here to help artists as well well man helping artists is probably one of the 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 reasons why i like being in this role is because i'm very very protective of artists being an artist manager myself so when big sound gets created um i always like to make sure that there's nothing unrealistic and unfair competing with those artists when they're showcasing um and and other little things like that i'm i'm very conscious of making sure that they are looked after and that's not just the artists that are showcasing but the artists that apply and don't get in um I, I want to be blunt because i i want to be able to give them the best information that they can get even if it is a little bit hard to swallow do you ever have do you ever feel industry pressures from people industry figures within the sector
0: that say oh I, I'm trying to think of an example, but mm. essentially what I want to know is, has anyone tried to call in a favour? Well,
1: I mean, it's not so, its not about favours. It's about, uh, because it does happen where there are industry people who are working with new artists and want to break them a big sound. And I agree with that um, approach. I think that's a great idea because simply, not because that person has power and therefore they've, wielded that power on me and I've been able to get them in because we're mates. Like by no means is that the case, but where it, the reason why some of those industry people do get acts in is because they have worked hard in their career. They've shown examples with all these other acts that they've um, developed and have been successful. And when they say, Hey, check out this new act that I'm either working on or I'm friends with, or I really want to see them. I'm like, oh man, if that person is interested in this band, they've already done so much other great stuff um, with other acts. Then there's got to be something about this band. Um, so yes, there's some elements of that in it, but I don't. I certainly don't let anyone di- dictate to me what um, is going to be in by any kind of pressure. And um, and our industry is generally pretty respectful too. Like they would never expect me to bend over for anyone. <laughs> yeah, That's
0: good. That's really good. What do you wish you programmed this year that you just weren't able to fit in? I, there's only so many days, there's only so many live yeah. slots. Yeah. And that, and this question is for the conference element and the live element too. Yeah.
1: Well, I had a few acts that were on my backup list. Um, and then a few acts dropped out as it, as they do generally from when we, confirm sending the invites out, like some of them can't do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of good because then I get to squeeze in the, the backup list that I was like, Oh good. I was really wanting to put you in there, but it was just really hard to find space. And, um, one of those acts was Milan ring. Um, who's just, I think, uh, being looked after by astral people now, um, Sydney artist and doing really cool things. Um, I was really intrigued by her and, um, uh, they made an application, but I, and I had it, like I was trying to get it in, but I couldn't, but then, um, someone dropped out. And so I was like, yoohoo I can get Milan ring in, but then they had made other plans. <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> so, so it didn't work out, yeah. but that's something that like, you know, I will always be the first one to say like, Oh wow. Like I, you know, not that I don't like to think that I missed the boat on anything, but um, but when there's an act that's like whose star is rising um, a little bit more than I anticipated, then there's always going to be that. But, I mean, I try and fit in. Like there's always space that, that does pop up eventually mm-hmm. and I like to squeeze them in when I can. And actually um, when it gets closer to the event, Being a Queenslander, um, I love the Queensland music scene and it's good having them here because um, if spots become available because an actor's sick or something like that, they're here, ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so are a lot of unofficial bands as well that fly up and it's good to know that they're here because then I can just say, hey, have an official showcase.
0: And just on the showcase live element, how do you strike the balance between programming exactly what you want and having the knowledge that you do need to sell tickets to that part as well
1: well i think an element of this has changed over the years in that we would try and get some you know the headliners to come and and help us sell tickets um those headliners have to be uh, willing to be in like play with the spirit of big sound in that all the money goes towards getting the international delegates out so they have to get a lot of value from the opportunity to be able to play in front of those delegates so that's always why we've had certain headliners play and um, you know, we've got a responsibility for the festival to actually sell tickets as well. And when it's a discovery festival and no one knows the, knows the artist, then the people who are buying tickets are mad music lovers who don't care if they don't know the artist and they want to discover them live in a really grassroots way, which is great. Um, but, yeah, we also need to reach out to those people who aren't as educated in the music scene as that, who do usually rely on knowing an artist before they buy any ticket. We need to drag them in so that we can make them hardcore fans <laughs> and, get them, and get them to, by chance, see all these incredible other artists that they never would have thought they would have loved and especially artists who will eventually blow up and then those people will say, oh, my God, I saw them when they were playing in front of 200 people. I'm so cool. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's smart. And today there was a huge announcement um, you are going to continue on as the programmer for next year. You're going to be executive programmer. Executive programmer, yeah. Yes, and then you're going to have help. Yeah. You have three incredible industry people. You've got Tim yeah. Shields, you've got Melody Fagani, and you've got Tom Larkin mm. um, who are going to help you with programming. Mm.
1: Tell me about the choice to bring those three people on. Well, um, so Tom Larkin is... Just one of the most level-headed guys I know, and he's always been so nice to me over the years. Um, which is actually, you know, one of the prerequisites is good: be a good person, be respectful because that's the kind of people that we want to work with and that's the kind of example we want to lead in this industry. And Tom is a really good connector and educator of people. He has a very strong focus and awareness on mental health, which is one of the things that has become more and more important here at Big Sound. He also has done a lot of great work with a lot of independent artists. So he's just and he's like anyone that's a bit of an all-rounder, um they're always gonna fit in at big sounds. So You could say he's a bit of an all rounder, you know, being yeah. an incredible rock musician as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> there's that. I I I didn't mention that. But yes. <laughs> yeah. He's always been like a moderator here and there and just the most like trustworthy person i feel very safe knowing that he's going to just take care of things so he's come on board with the conference programming and so tim shiel and melody they're coming on board with the festival programming both of them have incredible music taste they're both all-rounders as well Uh, Like like Tim is a presenter on Double J, has a record label, is a musician himself. Melody does PR, is also a manager as well, and is hugely respected within the scene. And we asked them to send us some music of, like, what would you program? And Melody in particular sent us a list of all these acts that even I didn't know. (laughs) And I was like, what's this? I thought I was across all this. Damn it, Melody, you're so cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and and both of them are, like, super responsive and have a really good grasp of Big Sound too. They've been going for years. So we haven't even had a team meeting yet, so we could have this conversation in a year and see how it goes um, and how I think this has been needed for so long. Like, this job is way too big for one person. <laughs> I was going to say, is this... Is the four people doing this role
0: representative of um, Big Sound expanding, or how full on the role is?
1: Um, both, yes, definitely both okay. equally. Uh, one of the reasons is that um, you know when it the the conference and the live aspect, they all um, they all have to be done at the same time, and they're both very big projects and it kind of all bottlenecks around this deadline zone and it's just with big sound growing so much over the years and it's going to continue to grow um it's just not going to be feasible with one person otherwise one year if it continued I uh, one year will just rock up and there'll be no keynotes because <laughs> like they weren't booked in because we ran out of time <laughs> so yeah having them on board will not only And a whole other element of it is about, you know, having three other brains um, and ears on everything and all of their connections and their music taste and their knowledge um, spread out to not just the rest of the country but the rest of the world. Big Sound is on the map now and I think that we're going to need all of these people and these brilliant minds to stretch out and make the most of all of those contacts and that knowledge. And you're starting with an incredible statement. You've got four people,
0: 50-50 gender split. Oh, yeah, I'm just loving it. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yes. I did want to ask you, as, as an artist manager and as someone who is so, has her finger on the pulse of what's happening in the management realm, are there any managers in the music industry, global music industry even, that you see as really incredible minds coming up in the space?
1: Yes, well, so managers-wise, last week uh, we were in New Zealand. Wasn't it awesome going global? Yes. I love that. It's such a lovely event that happens in Auckland um, the week before Big Sound every year. Um, They have some of the speakers that we have here. Um, We all go off to Auckland a few days before Big Sound and have this conference there. Um, Jacinda Ardern was there, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Did you get your selfie? I did. I I got a picture of her. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I love her so much. Because you said much. to me
0: before, you were like, I would love to get her. I would love to meet her. I would love to get a picture with yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. And I did see you up at the front. I was like, it's going to happen. Yeah. She's right there.
1: <laughs> and I was wearing my special earrings that day too. And there was the first thing she said to me was nice earrings. And like,
0: <gasps> you had said to me, you're like, I'm wearing these so that she
1: notices. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> um, so that was a great trip. And one of the, I met another amazing woman there and her name was Poppy. And um, I met her because she was wearing this T-shirt of a band called Bene, B-E-N-E. And they had played the night before and they were one of my favourite bands of the entire uh, festival that was there, the Others Way Festival. And um, I l- loved this band. And so I saw her wearing the shirt and I was like, oh my gosh, I love that band. like, and And also someone had just introduced us as well. And so I was like, oh... You know, she seems pretty young, and I thought like she said, "Oh, I I manage this band," and I'm like, "Oh, cool." Also, damn it,
0: she's twenty three. Yeah, yeah, she's. she's, yeah. she's, yeah, she's yeah. I I got to have dinner with her and um we just got along so well because we're like oh my gosh we're the same we have the same name we both have the same (laughs) and i was like we have to do a poppy and (laughs) poppy photos selfie but you can just tell from talking to her i mean she is young but she is so driven and she's so clued in and she's so smart and the ambitions that she has i know that she's going to achieve them but they she's also dreaming very big which i love yeah. As well.
1: Well, it, it made me a bloody um, red in the face when I was like, oh, would you like any management advice like at any time? Because oh, I love absolutely. Ben eh? <laughs> But then she's like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I also get advice from my friend, like my colleagues at CRS Management, a very <laughs> prominent management company. And I go to LA once a year and I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs>
0: she was telling me about this artist friend that she has who's living in LA because um, she's she's going to live in LA at some mm. point um And and I was like, oh great! I'm thinking maybe it's just this emerging artist. And she's like, yeah, it's Chelsea Jade. Like, Chelsea Jade.
1: And she's like, yeah, she's just a mate of mine. We hang out, you know, big no big deal. I just I just love meeting like even being here at Big Sound and seeing all the young people running around, whether they're volunteering or they're just attending because they're looking after an artist. And um, And obviously, like, there's such a diverse range of people in the audience out there. Um, I just want to be, maybe it's the big sound spirit, but I just want to be best friends with everyone and say, like, you're doing great, (laughs) go, fucking nail it, manage those bands and, you know, do all your, your music things. And I tell you what, when I went to my first big sound in 2006, not only was I, I'm pretty sure I was one of the youngest people there I must have been 20 and there was not really a lot of younger people there it was just a different time I guess but by all means there were not many women there at all (laughs) but it was a sign of the times you know so I'm just so glad that things have progressed and there's you walk out that door and you just get so excited and inspired by everyone yeah. And that you are so
0: part of that progression, whether Nico Burden kind of started it <laughs> yeah. or not. Yeah. You are so leading that charge as well. So I am interested. What do you hope that your legacy is um, when. Y- I mean, you're not going to program Big Sound forever, I imagine. Or you might. Mm, You never know. Um, But what do you hope that your stamp on the industry in terms of your programming of Big Sound?
1: I would say that, I, I guess I've said this throughout our chat in different ways, but it's just about treating people with respect And giving people time and having manners and (laughs) and being nice with one another and sharing resources with one another. It's how managers do it in Australia. I'm not even sure if other scenes can do it in Australia because there is that competition there and I totally respect that. But just having mutual respect for one another. There's nothing wrong with doing business and having a business transaction as long as you're telling one another what value you're giving and what value you expect in return. And you don't have to play games. You don't have to fuck people around. You don't have to get bravado on people and start yelling at them until you get the thing that you want. Just talk to people, understand everyone else's limits, understand that... um, that people have things going on that you have no idea about. I think that's like one of the biggest things to keep in mind. And, you know, I remember as a flashback, right back to when I was 20 starting in the industry and I felt very intimidated and like none of that was really there to me. I mean, obviously like I was just a nobody, so maybe that's what it was. But I just remember thinking like one day I'm going to make sure that everyone is nice to everyone. And they're gonna you sh- say that in a
0: mean <laughs> voice but it is the sweetest
1: most beautiful request <laughs> yeah. or wish ever. <laughs> and they're gonna they're gonna say hello to me and not snub me. <laughs>
0: And we're going to say hello to everyone yeah. and we're all going to be happily ever after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, silly. Before we completely wrap up, Maggie, I know that you are about to take a bit of long service leave mm-hmm. to look after number one yeah. for, the, for like, I'm probably thinking the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you got planned? You're taking a bit of time off.
1: Yes, I'm taking five weeks off and I'm going to go to a health retreat, which I'm very excited about. It is on the Gold Coast hinterland. Um, My friend, Jess Beston, who's another manager, looks after Holly Holly and Olympia. um, She went there and she got me a sweet discount from when she (laughs) left. So I'm heading there next. And it's a technology free zone and uh, coffee, alcohol free, everything. And it's just all nature I, I, like, I'm definitely like, I sound like a hippie, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and I don't care. That's um, necessary. there's a deep bath there and massages and, uh, really healthy, yummy food. So I'm going to do that for a week. Incredible. Yeah. And you've timed it really well,
0: haven't you? Because DZ are taking, um, a little bit of a
1: spell. Yeah, um, yeah. so Simon from DZ is getting married and he's going away for that whole time for, his honeymoon so i just thought well when the band goes away i'm gonna go away <laughs> no one's
0: being left in the lurch it's all good yeah,
1: exactly and
0: no one can bother you because it's technology free yeah yeah too bad yeah i love it <laughs> and you know what the industry is super respectful of those those moments so well deserved and well done yeah, Ooh, aw, thanks, yeah. yeah. thanks for coming on the podcast thanks
1: my pleasure <laughs>
0: you write or perform songs, you need to connect with APRA AMCOS. The music rights organization collects songwriting royalties for over 95,000 songwriters and composers. It also supports music creators through networking events, workshops, mentoring sessions, and grants programs. Go to apraamcos.com.au to find out more.